Movie Date is supported by the Movie Music Stream at yourclassical.org. Soundtracks for every moment of the day and features that complement your listening experience. Movies at yourclassical.org. That woman's not wearing underwear. Is that all you can think about? Food and sex? Yes. Please, focus. Look out! Do you recognize that, Rafer? I, I don't. It's uh, Although the sax solo, to me, says... Late 80s, early 90s. Oh, you love that sax solo. I love that. This was, was this the time when you were first a rock critic and you were thinking, I'm so lucky to be a rock critic at this point in America with all these sax solos? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, Psychedelic Furs. Um, no, what is that, Kristen? It sounds very TV to me. Yes, that is a TV show called Herman's Head. From, yes. the, from the early 1990s, during the Fox era when they also had um, the Tracy Ullman show. Oh, they also wow. had... It's Gary Shandling's show. It's Gary show. Shandling's show, yeah. sure. Yeah, it's like uh-huh. that whole era. And they had a whole bunch of Simpsons actors on it, like Yardley Smith and Hank Azaria and so on. Ah, uh, Hank Azaria. Herman's yeah. head. Yeah. Wow. And they were all inside. There's this guy named Herman. Yeah. And there are all these, like, emotions fighting it out inside his head. Now, the reason <laughs> I wanted to play that for you, Rafer, is because... I know. I know the reason. Because I, I'm afraid that maybe Disney Pixar decided they were just going to steal... Something from Fox TV. Uh, I think they just said we like something from Fox TV in the early 90s, and we're just going to rip that off and make it our own. We're going to make our own kids' movie based out of Herman's head. (laughs) And it's going to be called Inside Out. That's the movie you're talking about, of course. Yes, that's right. That's the movie I'm talking about. All the little emotions swirling around inside the head of an 11-year-old girl, Riley. Yeah, that's the new Pixar film. So we'll, we'll uh, let's talk about that in a little bit and see if that's a complete ripoff and if you think there's a lawsuit uh, happening <laughs> soon, Kristen. We're also going to talk about Dope, uh, a new film that takes place in an inner-city neighborhood in Southern California, although it's not quite the movie that you might be thinking. It's a comedy. And we'll also have a, a little review of Live from New York, a documentary on the uh, 40th anniversary of Saturday Night Live. But first... Let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Mines, our culture producer for The Takeaway. And this is Movie Date. I think Louise is so sweet. I think this woman is wearing underwear. I think there's too many people in this elevator. And I think you are all idiots. That's going to work. Ah, Rafer, that sax solo from the 90s. You know, you know why this is very appropriate that we're hearing so much of the 90s right now at the top of this podcast? Why? Because... Our lead character, our main character in one of the movies we're reviewing this week, he's, he's a total 90s nerd. That's right. He's a 90s nerd. We're talking about Malcolm. He's the hero of Dope, uh, the new movie by Rick Famuyiwa. It's uh, about this kid, Malcolm, played by Shamik Moore. He's, uh, he lives in Inglewood, California, a rough section of Inglewood in Southern California. Um, and, uh, you know, he's surrounded by... Gang bangers. His high school is pretty rough. A lot of drug dealers on the corner. But uh, Malcolm is kind of a geek. He's uh, he's really... got the kid in play hair. He's got the kid in play <laughs> hair. He's rocking the big chains and the uh, the crazy sweaters, kind of Cosby era crazy sweaters. Um, he plays in a punk band with uh, two of his friends. He gets straight A's. He's great at math. He's a hard studier, and he's actually applying to Harvard, which is where he wants to go. Um, so he's not your typical uh, inner city kid, and he gets a lot of flack for that. You know, his best friend Jib seems to be maybe uh, part or mostly uh, Indian. And his other uh, best friend, who's also in the band, is uh, Diggy. She's a black lesbian. So he's hanging out with kind of an unusual crew. Here's a clip. 
Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Malcolm Adekondi. I'm a straight-A student with nearly perfect SAT scores. I play in a punk band with my friends, and I'm a 90s hip-hop geek. A bad day for most geeks would be being the butt of jokes. But when you live in the bottoms, a bad day could look like this. So... I think that's one of the things that this movie really wants to do is uh, break a lot of stereotypes and show a real diversity of characters in this setting that we mostly think of as being very homogenous. You know, just the dr- oh, just, just the, the drug dealers, the version, exactly. Just the version <laughs> from Spike Lee's, you know, Bedsty. Exactly. That. Yeah. So it's nice. We are seeing characters and relationships we haven't seen before. As you were saying, having a lesbian best friend in a punk band while you're living in right. the worst neighborhood in Southern California, that that's interesting. Also, our lead character there, Malcolm, his dad is someone he's never known, a Nigerian who went back to Nigeria. Right. Yeah, which is interesting. And, um, of course, Rick Famuyiwa, the director, is uh, himself of Nigerian descent and grew up in Inglewood, California. Um, he's kind of – he's tackled this before with a movie called The Wood from about uh, – when was that? Maybe 10 years ago or so. Um, Rick Famuyiwa used to make these kind of um, these kind of light, uh, kind of rom-com kind of movies. Uh, not the kind of thing that you would that would that would prepare you for something like Dope, which is feels very youthful, very energetic, very new, and very now. Um, and it's kind of interesting to see this guy come out of the gate with this movie. What did you think, Kristen? Well, I have to say, you know. It belies a lot of expectations because, as you were saying, these are things we don't normally see. It's only this or it's only that or it's this archetype or that archetype. This one is not just with the characters belying our expectations but also in the storyline. It's like we have this really smart kid. He gets accidentally mixed up with some sort of drug dealing situation and it goes from comedy to being kind of an action movie to being kind of a very tense inner city standoff thing and mm-hmm. a smart business movie because mm-hmm. there's some very smart business thinking involved in how he gets out of this situation. Right. And all of it is also very of the moment. There's mention of everything from Bitcoin to yes. Ancestry.com to yes. Waze, which is that wonderful app you can use on your phone to avoid traffic when you're driving. And, <laughs> yes. and so everything is very, very on point. I thought, but then again, I'm in my 40s. What do I know? You mean the drug dealers have iPads too? <laughs> yeah. No, I know what you're saying. <laughs> I know what you're saying. But that is a funny moment when the drug, some other drug dealers are coming after Malcolm and they're, they're, tra- they're tracking him with an iPad. <laughs> turn left. Turn right. Because they have the, the your iPhone is lost app on, right. the, on the iPhone and they're following <laughs> right. right, which is very clever, actually. Um, I thought there were a lot of uh, clever things in this film. Um, the most fun, I think, in this film is when the characters are simply talking. I think it's when you just get the friends sitting around or Malcolm who's talking to an older guy who's trying to uh, relate to him by bringing up hip hop or when Malcolm is talking to Dom who is the corner uh, drug dealer, kind of a neighborhood kingpin guy, played by the way by ASAP Rocky who I think is a A, a great rapper and um, B, I think does a really good job here in this movie. It's his feature film debut. I think he's really good as Dom uh, and really funny and smart. and so, but I think it's it's mostly fun when the kids are just kind of hanging out, talking about stuff in a way that a lot of us don't get to talk about. One of my favorite scenes in the film is when they have a white friend who's going to help them get out of this situation. And 
part of his uh, part of the deal is that he has to be allowed to use the N word. He's, he cries. He cries reverse racism. He's like, you guys can say nigga and I can't. Oh, That's not Rafer, fair. You just said it. I said it in context. I okay, said it in context. Right. And okay. I think it's funny how the three kids react. Diggy, uh, the, uh, the, the lesbian girl who is black, slaps him for it. Uh, Jib, who's the um, uh, Indian guy, who's kind of on the fence. He says he's 14% black, which I like. I'm 14% black. He's kind of on the fence about whether or not that's acceptable. And Malcolm, who is black, just goes ahead and says, yeah, okay, fine. I'm fine with it. Go ahead. Use the word. Use it. And I think these kinds of little scenes like that are really are really funny. Um, I was trying to think of what movie it reminded me of the most. It reminds me a lot of Dear White People, of course, which yes, came out last course. year. Yes, of course. Last year, which you loved. Which I loved. And I thought was very good. I yeah. it was very good. I, would, I think Dear White People, to me, is a little bit a little bit smarter and a little bit more stinging than this movie is. Interesting. Yeah, this I movie actually is... think this is a better movie, though. Really? Oh, no absolutely. Kidding. I think it's more daring. I think it's more different. I think that one of the problems with Dear White People that I think some people stayed away from the theater for is it seemed very preachy at times. This it's, movie never yeah. this movie never feels preachy. It feels like we're eavesdropping on some conversations that should be happening. Conversations that are important that are speaking to what it is to be an American right now, what it is to be a person of color, what it is sure. to be gay, what it is to be a lot of things. Sure. Whereas I think that uh some of dear white people came off as frankly a little heavy-handed. Yeah. Uh, well, I think this film gets a little heavy-handed too, especially at the end. I think Oh, um, I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking no about? Spoilers. No, no spoilers. No, no spoilers. Um, I will say, actually, the one film that I think this movie is stealing from the most directly, in fact, in terms of its plot, its, its ending, the entire structure, is Risky Business from 1983, the Tom Cruise <laughs> film. It is, it's the exact same film. Oh my God, we have one movie this week that's a ripoff of Risky Business and one that's Herman's Head. That's Herman's Head, exactly. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, go back and watch Risky Business and you will see it follows the exact same arc and the exact same ending. The exact no, same, no. yes it does. No, yes, it does. no, because you know what? Our kid in Risky Business He's got it so easy. He's rich. He's but it's white. The, it's the exact same storyline. He gets he gets involved with a bad guy. He falls for the girl. He's got to figure out a way to get out of debt from the bad guy. So he goes into a criminal enterprise. And the ending of the film, the ending of the film, exactly the same. Interesting. Although I will say it, with the ending of this film, in the last 20 minutes or so, there's one scene that I was almost crying because I felt so bad for him. In. Are you talking about the, sort of the standoff, we'll call it? We'll call it a standoff moment. Yes. A standoff moment. And that's and a I moment. And I actually almost cried. It was so emotionally intense. It come, It, it really takes you by surprise because you're not expecting yeah, it. Yeah, because most of the movie up until that point is like, it's a joy ride. It's an adventure. It's like social commentary. It's a comedy. And then there's this one extremely intense point in the last 15 or 20 minutes yes. where I just was like, it's a very nice moment. It's a very, I, I very nice I moment. I think I might cry. This is so intense. I can't believe it. Same beat taken from Risky Business, although in Risky Business, they play it for laughs. Yes. And in this one, they play it for emotion, which I thought worked out really well. Oh, God. It, obviously, if, if listeners can't tell, I thought that Dope was a great date. I thought Dope was a very good date. I think I liked it just a hair less, just a hair less than you mm. did. But I thought Dope was a really, really good date, and I really enjoyed yeah. it. And, and one last thing. I kind of feel like maybe we're having a good year for teen comedies. I hope so. This and the Duff. Oh, that's a good are, point. This uh-huh. and the Duff. I hope that things keep going this way this year. I would love it if 2015 became kind of a John Hughes for the new millennium sort of year. That would be great. You're right. You're right. Let's hope. 
Okay, Kristen, uh, now it's your turn to tell me about Live from New York. You know, Live from New York is, of course, how they open Saturday Night Live every Saturday night. They... Also with sax solo. <laughs> now, yes. now that I think about it. What's up with that sax solo? For, for some reason, I feel like the sax solo is coming back, though, now. <laughs> and I can't tell if it's ironic or if they mean it. Spandau Ballet is on tour again. I'm <laughs> telling you, it's all coming full circle, man. Well, as we know, Saturday Night Live has turned 40, and there have been a few movies to celebrate that. There was the James Franco movie a couple years ago. Oh, that, yeah. It's on Netflix for free, I think, right now still. And there's this movie uh, directed by Bao Win, and it just looks back at the last 40 years of the show. And here's a clip of the movie Live from New York. If you really want to reach the American people, you really want to go on Saturday Night Live. For most n- normal politicians, it's a way of their communicating that they're easy in the saddle, they can take a joke. It was a great way to reach a huge audience that doesn't look at the nightly news. And it was also a challenge. Uh, I always believed in humor, there's truth. That's Ralph Nader. Ah, yes. (laughs) And, you know, one of the things that Live from New York does is it looks at all of the politics over the years and how politics became a part of Saturday Night Live. It looks at the celebrities. It looks at some of the musical guests. It looks at how they coped with September 11th. And overall, it's just a celebration of this TV show, which I think if you're a fan of Saturday Night Live, you're probably just going to love it. You're going to be like, yes, this is great. This is great. But even if you are a fan of it, I think you might feel a little bit shortchanged that you're not surprised by any of it. So it would, be, ma- it would be nice to have more secrets and behind the scenes thing because almost everything you're going to watch in this, you're going to know already if you're a fan. And if you're not a fan, you're just going to be like, so what? How do they handle um, some of the darker moments like Belushi and Farley, John Belushi and Chris just Farley? Just ignore it. I just ignore it. Okay. <laughs> just, well, just, you know. All right. Just let's not talk about that. Let's just okay. talk about what we see on stage on Saturday Night Live. And they touch a little bit on how they've not been the best show for race, how uh-huh, yeah. how at times they've been accused of not being good with gender, but everybody just is like, it's fine. <laughs> so well, it's, it, it's not super revealing. It's not much of a deep dive. It's more just, isn't this great? Yay. But it's a nice look back, you'd say. I'd say if you like Saturday Night Live, I think it's going to be a happy look back, but it's not going to be very illuminating. Okay, so live from New York, okay date. Okay date, if you're a fan. Okay. All right, so now let's turn our attention to the big movie of this week, the new Disney Pixar animated film, Inside Out. Kristen, give us the rundown of Inside Out. Now, this movie, much like Herman's Head, which it may (laughs) or not be ripping off. Perhaps exactly. (laughs) So Inside Out is all inside this little girl's head. She's 11 years old. Her name is Riley. We see all of her emotions fighting it out because she is going through a major change. She moves from Minneapolis to San Francisco. Her dad is working a lot. Her mom's just trying to put on a happy face. She's trying to put on a happy face. But inside her head, all her different emotions are alive and fighting each other. And each of these emotions is its own character. So we have Joy, who is voiced by Amy Poehler. We have Mindy Kaling, who is the voice of Disgust. Lewis Black plays uh, Anger. We have Bill Hader as Fear. We have, and I have to point out this one in particular, Phyllis Smith. This is an actress I didn't know before. Me either. She plays Sadness, and she's very, very good. Yes. Here's a clip of the movie. 
Riley, if you don't eat your dinner, you're not going to get any dessert. Wait, did he just say we couldn't have dessert? That's anger. He cares very deeply about things being fair. So that's how you want to play it, old man? No dessert? Oh, sure. We'll eat our dinner right after you eat this. So I have to say when I was first seeing the trailers and some of the early promo material and um, the uh, studio would send me a, a synopsis, a little one a synopsis, a little one liner on this, uh, all this early stuff that I'd been seeing about Inside Out, uh, I wasn't convinced because I just kept thinking Herman's head. I kept thinking I just kept having a sax solo play, and I kept thinking, God, it's just this is not going to be good. This is not going to be good. No, I just I wasn't convinced because I couldn't figure out uh, how they were going to bring these abstract concepts to life. I could, I, I didn't see a storyline developing there. I couldn't figure out. Well, what's going to happen to an, an emotion? If you're an emotion, what kind of adventure are you going to go on? What's what's going to happen to you? You, do, you don't actually really tangibly exist. Did and you think that they would just be like arguing in her head all the time? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't understand what was going to be the the sort of crux of the story, and so I went in a little skeptical, thinking, you know, uh, I don't know, what are they going to do with this? Um, and I have to say, really, from the get go. This movie just grabbed me, and I, w- I was really surprised at what it did with this extended metaphor, which doesn't sound very promising, frankly, especially when you think that you've got to keep it going over the course of 90 minutes. But I thought it just did an absolutely brilliant job of this, of having these two conflicting emotions that basically form a buddy comedy, right? Joy and sadness go on an adventure in Riley's brain, trying to make their way back to the control room of Riley's brain because they've left all the negative emotions in control. So now she's just got fear, anger, and disgust ruling her. And you get to see how those emotions manifest themselves as sarcasm and sullenness and insecurity. And uh, it's just, it's amazing to see what I think we normally think of as kind of sullen teen syndrome uh, illuminated inside her head. You get you get a, a kind of funny, inventive, imaginative, imaginative picture of what's going on inside her head when these kind of nasty things are coming out of her mouth and when she's, you know, turning her back on her parents. Um, and I thought it was really brilliant. And I cared about both Riley as a person and what she's going through because there comes a turning point where she's facing something fairly serious and I also really cared about these two little abstract heroes, joy and sadness. Mm. Um, I, cared, I cared a lot about them, and I wanted them to, you know, reach their goal and help this person that they're inside. And I was just floored by it. I thought it was such a fantastic film. Did, did you like it? Well, I have to, again, say the actress who plays sadness is so good. Phyllis She's great. Smith, Phyllis Smith, who's... She's really blue. She like yeah. literally. She's bl- a blue colored thing. Yeah, she's a blue lump in a little one of those little awful chunky sweaters. <laughs> and big librarian and, glasses. And she seems just like a Debbie Downer. And she's kind of yeah. comedy at the top of the movie. It's just like, oh, she's such a Debbie Downer, and you yeah. can't help but laugh at how sad she is all the time. Like everything that's fun, she just like, oh, yeah. She's know? got no energy. She can't. She doesn't like to walk. <laughs> yeah. She makes Joy drag her everywhere. Yeah, she's a total drag. Yes, exactly. Yeah, she's just a drag and. But then you start to realize how much more complex and important she is to Riley's psyche. Exactly. And I think they do such a good job of getting you initially to laugh at what a downer she is and then to realize 
there is validity in sadness, and we need sadness as much as we need happiness. And there's something extremely wrong if all we do is try to be happy all the time. Right. None of us can be happy all the time, and it's not fair to our emotional and psychological health to try and constantly put on the happy face. Right. And it means we can't always get what we need in life, and it also means we can't always connect with others in the ways that we should. And right. And I thought that was beautifully illustrated. I did too. And I... so, yeah, and so that, I have to say, was so well done to me, and that's part of what had me totally crying because, of course— not surprisingly, I was sobbing through this you thing. You cried. I cried. I cried. One criticism, though. Ah. I got kind of confused sometimes when joy and sadness, when they're off, lost in the brain, and yeah. there's some of the logic that's happening, and I don't understand what is this hockey island, and what is this friend island, and I didn't fully understand the logic of how you got oh. on bridges from here to there, and how things were connected or not connected to each other, and so sometimes the logic was very... It, it just didn't make a lot of sense to me, and I kind of wished it had made more sense. Oh, that's interesting. I actually thought it held together really well. Um, and, you know, I thought this idea that uh, there are all these little islands inside her that um, make up kind of the pillars of her personality. Like you were saying, friendship island, um, uh, hockey island because hockey is her favorite sport, family island. Uh, my favorite is goofball island, which, which looks like a little um, – a little tiny funny amusement park. And, you know, when she's having fun and just kind of being goofy, Goofball Island starts churning away. And there's a moment, I don't think it's spoiling anything because many of these islands start to collapse, but there's a moment when Goofball Island crumbles and you can see crumbling with it are all these jokes and memories and and laughter that she shared with her family going all the way back to when she was a toddler and there was something really heartbreaking about that to me to see goofball island collapse because i just thought i you know that's that childlike spirit that does get kind of crushed out of you as an adult by various things by other people by life by whatever um and to see that go was just really heart-wrenching and i and i thought that these little metaphors that they constructed in the in the, in the movie really worked. I thought they worked brilliantly. And also, it's. I, I also just thought the jokes were just endlessly funny. I just thought it's just, they just leave no stone unturned in terms of coming up with jokes. Not just like, you know, when they come across the subconscious and one of them says, don't go in there. That's where they put all the troublemakers. <laughs> and just, there's well, just there's there's the train of thought, the train of thought <laughs> when they, when they, um, they spill the box of facts and opinions and they can't figure out how to sort them out because they look so similar. I think there's all these brilliant, brilliant little jokes, and they just they just never end. They keep going throughout the entire film. Like just when you think the metaphor has tapped itself out, there's another great joke. I I just I thought this was like one of the best movies I've seen in a long time. I think it's one of the best Pixar films ever. I I, I just I cannot say enough good things about Inside wow. Out. I thought it was great, a great date. But I have a question, Rafer. You have yes. kids. I'm going to take them again this really? weekend. Really? Yes, I was going to say, are the kids going to like it? Are the that kids will be an interesting like test. Because when we saw this, we didn't have your kids with. That's true. That's true. That will be an interesting test. Um, you know, I feel like, uh, let's say, Wally uh, seemed to really strike a chord with adults, maybe more than kids. Mm-hmm. And it was, it's you know. It's a post-apocalyptic nightmare. Right. And I feel like it was the adults that really went crazy for Wally. Maybe that will happen with Inside Out. I don't know. But I'm going to take my two kids, five and seven, and we will see how they react this weekend. I'll let you know. Mm. Well, stay with us because when we come back, we're going to have some movie therapy and sweatpants. Mm. 
Movie Date is supported by the Movie Music Stream at YourClassical.org, a new site for expertly curated streams, unique programs, and relevant features to promote calm and focus. Click to discover a soundtrack for every moment of your day, whether it's filled with adventure, romance, intrigue, or quiet contemplation. Find a steady stream for your epic scenes with movies at YourClassical.org. I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. And this is Movie Date. Rafer, we should remind people to go onto our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash Podcast. We have a lot of trailers on there. We try to put a trailer of the day on every day. We have the trailer up now for Four Little Girls, actually, on the page, which is one of the first documentaries, actually the first documentary ever made by Spike Lee, which is about the 1963 bombing of that church in Birmingham and yep. about the four little girls and what their lives were like set against the backdrop of what was happening in American history at the time. And we always have trailers, some of them very serious like that, some of them more like the new Kristen Wiig, Will Ferrell, Lifetime Movie, A Deadly Adoption, which is also up there right now. So go to Facebook.com slash Movie Date Podcast, and almost every day we put up a new trailer. And don't forget to call us for just any reason. Just insult us. 5717movies. We don't care. Read some lines from a movie. Sure. Act act out anything. Do anything you want. (laughs) All right. So, Kristen, should we turn our attention to sweatpants? You're wearing sweatpants. It's Monday. Am I the Queen of England? I don't know. Does the Queen of England only wear sweatpants? When you are a man, sometimes you wear stretchy pants in your room. This week's sweatpants review uh, was requested, actually, by a listener. Uh, he wrote to me on uh, Twitter, which also anyone out there is welcome to do. Ray for Guzman is my handle. Don't forget the at. Oh, the at. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. By the way, I'm at Kristen Meinzer. Rafer is at Rafer Guzman. They're pretty easy. <laughs> I'm so technologically impaired. Okay. Um, but Andy Claiborne wrote to me and said, can you sweatpant sense eight? And that's the word sense with the number eight. That's a new show on Netflix. It's by the Wachowskis. Andy says, can you sweatpant sense eight? I tried to watch an episode and quit in a fit of rage. <laughs> So, Andy, the answer to you is yes. We're going to review Sense8. Uh, As Kristen, a matter of fact, we were going to do it. We were going to do we it. We were going to do it a few weeks ago. When it came out, it came out, was, was it two weeks yeah, ago? Yeah, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, Netflix released all the episodes. This is the new Wachowski. I always pronounce their name wrong. I think, it's, I think it's Wachowski. Wachowski that's siblings. All I, that's all the I said. Wachowski siblings. The Wachowski siblings. It's uh, science fiction, of course. Uh, we uh, the, the series uh, opens up with... Uh, a woman who is uh, in some kind of a, I don't know what, a, a church of some sort and looks like she's got uh, kind of an angel on one side, a demon on the other. There's two people talking to her. They're not really there, but she can feel them. And uh, one of them is encouraging her to dig deep down, use her will, go out into the world with her spirit and contact others like her, which she's going to do. Here's a clip. Los neighbor. Hey, open up! This is the police! What we wind up seeing as uh, the episode unfolds is all these different people all over the world, uh, Africa, uh, uh, Australia, India, everywhere, uh, being sort of contacted, visited, you might say, by this angelic figure. uh, And it's clear that they're going to tap into some kind of connection that they have with each other. 
so, Kristen, um, what did you think of this Wachowski uh, series? Well, first of all, I have to say, I didn't even know how to pronounce it. <laughs> what, the title I, Sense 8? I thought that the 8 was like print spelling. It was supposed to be like an S, like senses. Like oh, the, like oh. the eighth sense. Like we have the sixth sense. Or like the sense. movie Seven. Remember how the movie yes. Seven stylized the V as a seven? Yeah, and I'm like, oh, these Wachowskis have gone too far now. <laughs> now they're spelling things with numbers. Now I've you've had it done with you it. Guys. I've had it with you guys. No, sensate, like 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 sentient, like feeling, <laughs> like, a, like a sensate person. I hope you're right. Well, I don't know, because no matter what, it's horrible. It's, I, don't spell things with numbers, people. Just cut I, it out. I'm fine with that. I'm, I, I'm, I'm okay over with it. That. I'm over That's like spelling things with an X and a K, like back in 1999. Everything, like during the Y2K era, they would like throw in a bunch of like Ks oh, and Xs and oh, everything. Oh, 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 I the see. The turn of the millennium, they're like, let's just spell things with Xs and Ks. Oh, I like, thought you meant like, like America no, with a like, K, like to present, like, like to signify it's fascism. Like, it's like fixing the books with a K and an X at the end. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, okay. So Okay, so that's that's a minor minor quibble, the, okay. the spelling. So the logo you don't like, but how about how about, how about the, the show itself? And that's my review. No, that, but the show itself, I have to agree with Andy who wrote to you. You agree. I just I think it's such a hot mess and I don't know how anybody, Andy, gets through a whole episode of the show, to be honest with you. I, I don't know why Netflix picked this up in the first place, honestly. Well, it's, it's the Wachowskis. I mean, I know, you, you know. but look at Cloud Jupiter or whatever that movie is. <laughs> You're talking about you've conflated two Wachowski movies, Cloud Atlas and Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> exactly. Okay. You know, this is just horrible, horrible. What, I don't, what, I don't what know did... what's going on. I have no idea. It's like, are you an angel or a human? And in different lights, you're this, and now you're that. And I, I don't know if you're evil or if you're good. And now before I can even develop any sort of relationship with you as a character, now we've moved to another part of the world where it's somebody else who's encountering you. And and, and so nothing ever goes deep. Nothing is explained. Yeah. It's just like, I'm something that's inexplainable visiting you for eight minutes. Yes. And now cut to Look, it's me. I'm not explainable. And I'm visiting you. And you're brown. And I'm white. And now I'm going to go to this place. Look, I'm visiting you. You're Asian. Yes. And yeah, it's like- yeah, you're in Seoul. Um, okay, yeah. I, I would, I'm going to have to also agree with you uh, and, and with Andy Claiborne. Um, I gave it 40 minutes. Because uh, I decided, I just I set my timer and I thought, well, goddamn it, I'm going to give it 40 minutes. I'm going to see if I can outlast Andy. Um, and I I barely made it. And I'm going to say the just like you, the really the main problem is, you know, your 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 pilot episode is supposed to do really one thing and tell you what's happening. This pilot episode does not do that. It never tells you what's happening. You get I got 40 minutes into it and I thought. I still have no idea what anyone's connection is, who that woman was, who the two people on either side of her who weren't really there were. And I don't know I don't know who the villain is, who the bad guy is, what the goal is, what anyone's doing, how anyone is special or different. And so and they kept just like in uh, what do you call it? Uh, Cloud Jupiter. Cloud Jupiter. Just, just like in Speed <laughs> Speed Racer Jupiter. They kept cutting back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Like that was some kind of clever, cool, mystical thing that was going to connect the world for us like Paul Haggis always does. And it just didn't. And I, I think the two things that bun me out were, one, 
everyone's just a really uninteresting, dull cliche, right? Like rave DJ chick. Boy, the, 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 the Wachowskis <laughs> love a rave, man. You cannot keep the Wachowskis out of a rave. So there's rave DJ chick who I just instantly thought, you're trivial and uninteresting. I don't care what's going to happen to you. Um, and then, uh, so either everyone's a cliche. And the other thing that kind of bugged me about this, that, but this series weirdly is that it has this really uh, kind of juvenile, puerile interest in sex. Did you notice that about about the series? It seemed to have this really... And what I'm thinking of mostly, but not entirely, are the two lesbian characters oh, in the God, film. Oh, God, yes. Who I found so... Um, they were they were so irritating and so uh, oversexed uh, and kind of in your face shocking. I wasn't I wasn't clear on if they were trying to say, "Look at how edgy we are. We're showing graphic sex between women." Right. And I wasn't repulsed. I was just rolling my eyes like this seems juvenile. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, it did. Like, I mean, oh it, look, sex. I mean, initially, I think in, initially I was kind of I thought like, "Hey, that's a pretty hot sex scene between these two chicks. We're there's a lot happening here, and then, but then but the but the Wachowskis can't stop there. What they have to do is show you the sex toy they're using land with a thud on the floor in a big puddle of KY, and I just thought, okay. That's not necessary no matter what gender or, or inclination you've got going on. I, I don't need to see that. No, thank you. And then I think they turn these two lesbians into some kind of like gay parody. They're always kind of mooning over each other saying, remember our first pride? <laughs> remember when we went to our first pride? And that they're, st- they're in San Francisco and everyone, all the drag queens are running around with, you know, strewing the confetti around them. in the park, waving their pride flags. And I keep feeling like... Wait, is this a parody of gay people? What is this? This seems like some kind of mockery of, of like gay San Francisco. That struck me as bizarre, and and frankly, I was just I was just like Andy Claiborne, our listener who wrote in. It just lost me, and I turned it off in a fit of rage, just like he did. And I'm sorry to say, Sensate by the Wachowskis, just another Wachowski disaster. I so don't get bad. it. So bad. I think it's time to maybe move on to some movie therapy. All right, let's do it. What seems to be the trouble? Can I confess something? I'm just trying to tell you about my feelings. He's been depressed. Help! Kristen, read our read our movie therapy from Mary Ratliff. All right. So our wonderful, wonderful Mary Ratliff, who's been a listener for quite some time, says, Hello, Rafer and Kristen. I've got a request for movie therapy that I hope isn't too much of a downer. In April, my father passed away. Since then, my family and I have found that watching movies or television is kind of a minefield. It seems like even the most innocent-seeming entertainment suddenly has a storyline about death, terminal illness, or saying goodbye. My favorite podcasts have suddenly had multiple death-themed episodes in a row. Even Movie Date played the clip of Big Bird singing at Jim Henson's funeral, which is a tearjerker even on a good day. With Father's Day coming up, I know it's going to be a hard time for us in general, and I'd love to visit my family armed with a few recommendations for some movies we can enjoy without getting blindsided by more difficult emotions. We just want some simple, fun times with family for a little while without having to go too brainless either. Thanks, and thanks for the podcast. I greatly enjoy listening to it each week, even when it makes me cry. Mary, first of all, we're so sorry to hear about the loss of your father. Our hearts go out to you, and we're sending good thoughts to you and to your family right now. And we're sorry about the Big Bird clip. 
Oh God, I thought that, that was is, such a crap. boy. That I'm is a sorry. that is that is a tearjerker. That was my it's decision. Very true. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, Mary, uh, I I understand where you're coming from. I have not lost my father, but. Um, uh, both my grandparents uh, have passed away, and I, on Father's Day, I often think about um, my mom and my dad and what and what they how they feel on Father's Day. So I understand. I've chosen. Um, Kristen's got her own picks on this one. I've chosen three movies uh, from way back. I, when 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 you sent when you sent this um, this email, I remember thinking, "All right, we got to go. We got to go way back, way back to the good the good old days, the happy days, um, <laughs> the fifth the fifties and sixties." Um, and I chose three films with Cary Grant playing fathers, and these are films that, that are Grant. they're 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 upbeat. Uh, they may have a tender moment in them somewhere, but these are not films that are going to uh, hit you over the head with uh, loss. This is not going to be Toy Story three kind of moments for you here. Um, so I've got three movies for you. One is uh, a little bit of fluff called Room for One More. This is from 1952. Uh, Grant plays a character named Poppy Rose, uh, his wife, uh, played by uh, Betsy Drake, who actually was his real-life wife at the time. Um, uh, and she has this habit of uh, taking on foster children. Grant plays this character who's like the curmudgeon who doesn't want any more kids and doesn't even like kids. But, of course, we know he's just a big softy at heart underneath it all. Here's a clip. As you see, I believe a pancake should be the size of the pan. Of course, that takes more skill than the average human being can master. But there you are. I studied under a Escoffier. Oscar the Warlock. Here we are, Penny. And Aunt Jemima. Oh. There's not really much to this movie except the whole that. kind of Cary Grant shtick. I don't like these kids. <laughs> um, that's really about all you've got there. Um, but it's it's fun. It's cute. Uh, the second one I'm going to recommend to you is Houseboat from 1958. Uh, again, Cary, Brant, uh, Cary Grant plays a guy named Tom Winters. He's a State Department worker. He's estranged from his wife, but he's trying to be a good dad to his three kids. Uh, his little one, Robert, runs away, and he's f- and Robert is found by a beautiful woman named Chinzia Zaccardi, played by, of course, Sophia Loren. Mm. Uh, Cary Grant uh, somehow decides that she must be a maid, and he hires her as a maid, <laughs> not realizing that she's not a maid at all, and then discovers later on that she can't clean or cook or do anything like that. Why does he decide to keep her around? Two words, Sophia Loren. <laughs> Um, here's a clip. I don't know anything about you anyway. You're from Italy, aren't you? See? Si. That means yes. You don't say. Are you a GI bride or something? Oh, si, si, yes. Yes, almost. Almost? Yes. What does that mean? Well, you see, I arrived. He didn't marry me. Good old American know-how. So I must go to work. Well, it's a very sad story, and I'm deeply touched, but I don't think this is the job for you. Besides, we're leaving the city. We're going to the country. That's wonderful. I adore the country. Again, you know... We're not talking about a scintillating plot here uh, or one of those kinds Hard of storylines. Hard to comprehend. No, it's, <laughs> it's really not. But, you know, you've got two great stars together, Sophia Loren, Cary Grant. How can you go wrong? Um, last one for you, Mary, is Father Goose from 1964. This was Cary Grant's, not his last film, but I think it was maybe his second to last film. So one of his last. Uh, he plays Walter Eklund. He's kind of a... Slob, uh, civilian. He gets this cushy job watching for Japanese planes on a little island in the Pacific. It's 1942. It's World War II. Um, through a strange turn of events, you know how these things go in the old movies. He winds up on the island with uh, Leslie Caron. She's a French Ooh. school teacher with seven adorable little schoolgirls. He's the drunken slob. She's this prissy school teacher, and of course, romance is going to ensue. Here's a clip. Uh, Mr. Eklund, where are your tea things? My what? 
Your tea things. Last time I looked, they were next to the finger bowls. Hey, hey, be careful with that. Didn't I tell you? Oh, it's an empty. Father Goose is actually uh, a real charmer and a lot of fun. Very cute, very cute little movie. Um, I think you couldn't go wrong with any of these. Oh, what a great prescription, Rafer. And now, Kristen, Dr. Meinzer? No, no, my prescription is very, very different. So, Mary, keep in mind here, I've also lost parents. I don't have any parents left. I know how painful it is when a Father's Day or Mother's Day comes around and you're getting those email blasts from like Groupon or yes. from The Gap and everywhere else like, what's the best Father's Day present? What would, mom wa- what would mom want this year? I don't know what mom would want because unfortunately I no longer have my mom. So stop sending these things to me. I know how that feels. It's every, Everything's a reminder and it's painful. So I thought I'd go a slightly different direction than Dr. Rafer on this one. I thought maybe you just want to see movies that are fun and happy and don't have dads at all. So that's a that's totally fair. So I picked three movies that do not even have dads. So the first movie I'm going to recommend is Wet Hot American Summer, of which course. is which is just wacky good fun about these camp counselors who are all frankly way too old to be camp counselors. <laughs> <laughs> that's a time honored tradition. Yeah, of course. we got Paul Rudd, we got Amy Poehler, we got a whole hilarious right, cast Paul of Rudd. people. Yeah, it's very funny. Here's a clip. Hey, what you writing on? My journal. Write my thoughts in it every day. Oh, you mean a, a journal? Yeah, whatever. Guess I'm not all smart like you. Can I see what you're writing? Actually, Lindsay, only three people are allowed to look at this. Me, myself, and I. Yeah, who doesn't like a 30-year-old camp counselor? There's no one's going to blindside you with, an, with an, almost any emotion in that <laughs> film. <laughs> the only emotion you're going to be blindsided with is pure glee. You're going to laugh and laugh and laugh. So Wet Hot American Summer is my first pick. My second pick is Big Trouble in Little China, starring Kurt Russell as a guy who ends up on a crazy adventure in Chinatown, which involves a little bit of the supernatural. Here's a clip. So how long you been in the U.S. of A? Three months. Where from? Hong Kong. (laughs) What happens? You uh, you stay here a while, old girls leave, new girls come in, or... Maybe. Take your tie off, please. Yeah, I know what you mean. My wife gave it to me for Christmas. Now, this movie, Big Trouble in Little China, is being remade, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yes. <laughs> oh, the irony. This was the movie that led uh, John Carpenter to quit Hollywood. He had, got, he had gone Hollywood and had such a horrible time with it, and uh, the reviews for it were so bad that he quit Hollywood and went back to independent filmmaking. And here they are remaking it and with Dwayne Johnson. And remaking it. <laughs> but I have to disagree with the press from back then. I, I think this is a really fun movie. It's, oh, it's a great totally movie. ridiculous. Some of the stuff, I mean, I think this was the 80s. Some of the, some of the jokes might seem a little crass or off color now. Yeah. We live in a post-PC world. Maybe things have come full circle and now we're post-racial enough where maybe those jokes are fine. Could I'm, be. I'm, I'm not sure. But... In any event, Kurt Russell once said he will never play a romantic lead. He's not going to be a dad. I think the only time he even came close was overboard opposite Goldie Hawn. And, oh, yeah. And I think he immediately regretted it and said, I'm, I'm an action star. Good move. I'm a man's man, and this is what I do. I'm just a man. I might make you laugh. I will never make you cry, though, because I'm a man. Good move. So you're not going to cry when you watch Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> now, the third movie I'm going to recommend, Tootsie from the early 80s. 
It's one of the best movies ever, frankly. Ever, and it's bringing us back full circle with sax solos because there are sax solos. Are there in Tootsie? Always. In all those movies during that era, there's always like a montage scene and there's like the sax oh, yeah. playing. Yeah. Yay. Always sax. Yeah. <laughs> they're so happy. He's like, Plus, it's got Terry Gar. Oh, oh I know you I love, love that Terry Gar. I love Terry Gar. Yes, you have that special place in your heart. Yes, I do. You, you love that Terry Gar. But... This is the movie that really catapulted a lot of people to superstardom. Jessica Lange was also in this movie. Mm -hmm. And in the movie, we have an actor who's out of work, who's been trying to make it for a really long time. He's too short. He doesn't really look like a handsome leading guy. He just, you know, on a whim decides to apply, try out for the role that would normally go to a woman. He dresses up as a woman and he gets cast in a soap opera. Here's a clip. So, George, I'm the new woman administrator on Southwest Jingle. You are what? Congratulate me. They almost didn't hire me because they thought I looked too feminine. Something from the bar. Isn't yeah. that amazing? Please, could you get, huh? get me a double vodka right away, please? You know, for the lady. Oh, <clears throat> how about a uh, Dubonnet with a twist? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. That's a lovely glass. Thank you. Welcome. Now, mind you, this is not Mrs. Doubtfire. This no. is a totally different thing. I I probably shouldn't have even brought up Mrs. Doubtfire because that will make you cry. <laughs> Don't watch Mrs. Well. Doubtfire. Do not watch that. But this is another movie just about what it's like to try and have to switch roles, and especially during this era in the 80s where women are rising up in the career world and so on. And it's just fun. It's great acting. And it was actually an Oscar nominee. Yeah. I mean, it's it's also, I just think, like the role, I guess one of many roles of a lifetime for Dustin Hoffman. But I do think it's one of his greatest roles. And also the great Dabney Coleman. In oh, his, that's doing, right. Doing that's his right. villain thing, right? Right out of nine to five. And so God, smarmy. God, he's good at it. Oh, <laughs> God, he's good. Tootsie's a great movie. Good good choices, Dr. Meinzer. All right. So th- those are our uh, prescriptions and Mary, we wish you the very best with your family and with the future right now. Again, you're in our thoughts and everybody else out there who is celebrating Father's Day or not celebrating Father's Day, we hope that you only have good feelings right now. So, Kristen, it's time to turn to trivia. Well, last week we, in honor of a couple of movies we had last week where the actors reenacted their favorite movies and filmed them. We had um, The Wolf Pack, and we had Me and Earl and The Dying Girl. Those were two movies in which people paid tribute to the movies by reenacting the movies and filming them. And we said, that's not the only two movies we've seen where that's happened. We played a clip of this movie and asked you to identify it. Here's the clip. I've rewound this tape all over, and it's blank. Really? This video don't work. Yours looks like this. Look, 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 all the tapes are blank. It's the TV, Mac. Show me how, why is it doing that? Does that happen when you do it? Uh-oh. What is wrong with you? Why is it doing that when you do that? You're magnetized. You erased these tapes. It's you. A lot of right answers, but we randomly selected one from Facebook. Pauline Lim from Somerville, Massachusetts says... Be Kind, Rewind is the answer to this week's trivia question. It is one of my favorite movies. It is so creative and ingenious, and its characters are so creative and ingenious. Thank you for your excellent and entertaining podcast. Pauline, thank you for listening all the time. Yes, thank you. And thank you for the great trivia answer, which is 100% accurate. That's right. Be kind, rewind. That's most deaf and Jack Black sweeting the movies. Remember, that's sweeting. what they call it. We've sweeted <laughs> that movie. Um, so... This week, we've been talking about Dope, which is a movie about uh, a kid from the inner city who's obsessed with the 90s. So we're going to choose a movie about the inner city from the 90s. Here's a clip. 
nothing in this house. Every time I come in the kitchen, you in the kitchen. In the goddamn refrigerator, eating up all the food, all the chicken, all the pig feet, all the collard greens, all the hog maws. I want to eat some of them chitlins. I love pig feet. If you know the name of that film, give us a call, 5717movies. Or you can message us at facebook.com slash moviedatepodcast. Yeah, 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 yeah.